0: Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Ann Wolf. North Carolina's education system and schools affect each and every one of us across our state. We have much work to do to ensure that our educators and students have what they need. And many of the actions needed by our state are clear and common sense. Here to talk about this are our North Carolina 2021 and 2022 boroughs' Welcome Fund Teachers of the Year, and our first three NCAT Prudential, North Carolina Beginning Teachers of the Year. We are absolutely thrilled today to be joined by Eugenia Floyd, the 2021 Burroughs Welcome Fund North Carolina Teacher of the Year, and Leah Carper, the 2022 North Carolina Teacher of the Year. Thank you so much to both of you for being here. Thank you for having us. Definitely, I'm so excited. There are so many things that I could talk to the two of you about, and I know our audience is in for a treat with all the energy that you bring to this work and your deep care and work for kids. Um, But I'd love to just start out um, by asking Eugenia, you've now spent a year on this journey. What have you learned? What are you hearing from teachers about kids? What are your thoughts one year into this wonderful role for you?
1: Oh my goodness, it has truly been an amazing year. And I am so looking forward to being a mentor to Leah as she goes into her year, just like Maureen was for me. Um, I can definitely say the, the first few months, it was a whirlwind, you know, that there is something different about coming out of your classroom into a different world of education. And I have learned quite a bit about what it takes for schools to have the things that they need and in my travels with other teachers um, in talking with other students I guess the best way to put it is kind of what um, my principal of the year Dr. Ashburn said this year in um, the announcement was I am I just like her have seen cur- people show courage doing everything they can to make sure that children are given their very very best. And I am so grateful to be have have had the opportunity to travel and not just see that happening where I'm from, from Chapel Hill Schools, but also be able to see that happening across our state.
0: And Leah, I know today was your last day of school and here you are um, embarking on this journey ahead of you. When you think about what you're hoping to lift up about teaching and the teaching profess- profession, what comes to mind for you?
2: Yeah, today was a very emotional day for me closing the door to my paint classroom, letting it all go for, for a year. But when I see Eugenia is great, like what she just said about courage, you know, I want to continue to lift that up and just to see how happy she is and how excited she is about what's going on. It makes me excited about what I'm about to embark on. For people who are trained professionals who, who have the skills to be able to help teach people skills. I think that's really important. I think that helps um, bring respect to, um, to the profession. And um, I'd like to bring that. I'd also like to bring the attention to school safety. I think that's really important, especially with things going on in, in today's society, um, but not just physical safety, but also emotional safety and intellectual safety as well.
0: I wonder if you could both share a few thoughts on the working conditions of teachers and also teacher compensation. What do we need to do to attract, recruit, and retain highly effective and diverse working force? Our working
1: condition surveys, the information data was just released. And from those responses, we have a moment like everyone is amplified about transforming education. We also have a moment in a a chance to make a bold move in transforming how we recruit, how we retain, and how we take care of teachers. Um, I was really I this year I did have the privilege of being a part of that committee that really pushed out that work and, you know, I was very insistent on making sure that we add some questions also to the survey around how we as educators are having to respond to the needs of our students educators are pivoting in a way that you don't normally have to pivot. For example, as a fourth grade teacher, when I was in my classroom, I had to have just last year, I had to have a conversation with my fourth graders on how to something basic like how to take an EOG because they missed that when we exited school the year before. I've never had to have that conversation and have that level of practice with my students. Leah, myself, and every teacher in this state. We make decisions very quickly, and we're not waiting on anyone to get things done for children. We're going to meet the needs of the kids that are right in front of us. And so I think our working condition surveys and the responses we receive from that speaks exactly to that. It is a survey that is showing you how much work educators have put in this year and how they have felt heard or not heard this year as well. So I think that that needs to be lifted up. It needs to be respected and valued. And I look forward to seeing our state, our districts, and our schools use that data to the fullest.
0: Leah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And please feel free to also bring in that support for mental health and social emotional, because I think that feeds into school safety as well. Yeah, when Dina talked about
2: pivoting each day, a lot of times it had to do with social emotional health. And, you know, my students, these past two years, they've they've been through a lot. I teach high school, and many of them were struggling with missing out on their high school experience, missing out on their friends. You know, that's this is the time of their lives when their brain is more surrounded. You know, it's more important to be with friends than even family. And so they're missing out on those really important. Social interactions that help them mature. I think that they're handling it really well, though. But they're handling it well because they have teachers who will take the time when they can to discuss it. Every day, in my class, we do a social emotional check-in. We make sure that everyone's doing okay. And if we're not doing okay, or if things are happening in the world that are upsetting them, we're going to bring in, like, we're going to bring that in as part of our learning. I'm connecting it with the poems that we're reading in class or articles that we're reading, finding ways to bring their world into our classroom world was really, really helpful. And I'm grateful that I had a administrator who was supportive of that. So in order to retain teachers, we do need that kind of support though, of allowing teachers to be professional enough to make those choices as to what it is that we're going to discuss with our students in a way that is helpful and beneficial to their, um, their skill sets, to building their social emotional health, to making them feel more secure. And so that really, really helps, but also mentorship. I know that uh, we had, we had quite a few brand new teachers in my, in my department this year. And so we were all mentoring multiple new teachers and, you know, watching them Two of them student taught during the pandemic, like online. That's how they student taught. So they never had to deal with any discipline because kids were behind a screen. They would just be like, bye, you know, and things would be bad. We need strong mentors, people who can really like discuss, who are experienced to help these new teachers find success, because a lot of them haven't had that experience because of what we missed
0: in a pandemic. What advice do you have for state leaders, our legislators, district leaders and how they can support teachers?
2: Hello, we're right here. Come listen to us, call us, talk to your teachers, visit the schools. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I've never seen anybody from, you know, our whatever visit us before. Come see what it really is like every day. Come to a meeting where we are planning and using the resources that we were given to try to make it work, you know? come and visit us and we will help you understand what it really is. I think it's really difficult to get the full story if you're not in the story. So come be part of the story. We know the kids. We know each other. We've been doing this a very long time. So please have faith in us that we are, we're not being selfish. We're not being um, angry. We just want to do what's best for for kids and, uh, and for North Carolina's future, frankly. So listen to us. Come see us call us hang out with us we're good people awesome and eugenia you get the final
0: word what is your advice
1: well at the end of the day i think i've said this all year long like we don't work for anyone but children and like leah said this is our passion is the are the kids in front of us the solutions to the problems that we're facing can be found in our classrooms Ask the teachers, and we are more than welcome to share solutions, share ideas on ways that we think would be helpful for us to be successful. Um, I think that that is a a really big key. And again, that working condition survey had questions around that. Please look at that. That means like teachers are telling you, hey, I want some more professional development for something specific that's differentiated just for me. So I think that if we are... If we really remember to be in tune with our schools, that also means being in tune with our educators and seeking them out as the professionals that they are and knowing that those solutions, we have those as well.
0: Well, I cannot thank both of you enough and how lucky North Carolina is to have you two representing us and representing all teachers. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. After the break, we will be joined by our first three North Carolina Beginning Teachers of the Year.
3: Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning.
0: We are absolutely thrilled to once again be joined by our current and previous two North Carolina State Beginning Teachers of the Year. You are in for a real treat when you get to hear from Leanne Rose from Morrisville Graded School District, Xavier Adams from Orange County Schools, and Emily Higdon from Macon County Schools. Thank you so much to all of you for joining us.
4: Thanks for having us.
3: Yeah, thank you. Yes.
0: You three represent exactly what we hope as we think about students in our high schools, even our middle schools and our colleges who are interested in pursuing careers in education. And I'd love to just start by talking about how did you get interested in becoming a teacher? And then what are some of the challenges you faced in your first years?
3: I've always been passionate about working with kids. In undergrad, I worked with kids. Grad school, I worked with kids in a nonprofit setting. And the plan was to do some sort of Christian nonprofit type of work. Um, And then I just kind of woke up one day and realized like, wait, public education is really cool because you get to see kids five days a week for so many more hours a day. And so just the ability to be more present in the lives of young folks was really exciting to me. Um, And so just wanting to be a positive person, uplifting person, place of comfort, safety, love, uh, is what really drew me to the, to the uh, profession.
0: Emily, when you think about your uh, first couple of years teaching and also people that are just beginning in the field, what do you see as the biggest challenges? The first few years I've had in education have been completely
5: clouded by COVID, Um, I have not had a normal year. My first year was the year that COVID hit. So there is a level of flexibility and adaptability that is required right now in education. And for some people that's fun and exciting because it's changing and everything's different. And for some people that is a big turnoff for education. Um, Similarly, when we think about long-term positions in this world, there are not a lot of opportunities for advancement beyond becoming a principal or being an administration. And for those of us who want to be in the classroom and don't want to be at the principal or administrative level, that can be a, a kind of a turnoff right now as far as when, if you're on the fence of whether you're going to be a teacher or not, it's just not as inviting in that sense. And at the same time, the pay is not as comparable to other bachelors or master level careers out there. And so if you're somebody who... considering being a teacher
0: those can be things that turn you away from choosing this as a profession so building on that leanne what will make you stay in the profession and what do you think will help others who are entering the profession stay
4: i think a big consideration is our compensation at the beginning teaching level um knowing that it is perceived that we do have to do a lot more than what's expected we you know i do feel like public uh, the understands that teachers have to do a lot more. What we're given and what per, mer, we're provided is not really enough. Um, and so I know a lot of people understand that teachers spend their own money. Um, and then considering the amount that we're getting, it's a really challenging thing as a very young person, um, trying to be a professional and trying to be the best teacher that you can be um, and not being um, appropriately or competitively paid. Um, as well as I think it's important for us to be talking about. Um, so. People understand because I think sometimes there's this like when you're in the world of education, people understand what we're talking about when we say that there's no like upward movement and like to become a principal. That's not really a lot of our goals, right? Like that's a completely different thing. If I want to work with children, I want to work with children and that's my goal. But becoming a principal or moving up in that way you're working with adults (laughs) that then work with children. So yes, you're enacting change and it's an admirable, wonderful career, but it's something that um, I think it's important for us to kind of talk about so people understand kind of what the reality of teaching is and kind of what, um, that it's not a natural progression and it's not necessarily, going to be what happens for every teacher and that's okay.
0: When we think about all this what can we do to best support our beginning teachers Um, and I'd also like to consider this idea that we know that having a diverse teaching workforce that more closely resembles our students and represents the students that we teach is very important here so I think part of that is both how do we recruit educators but also support them.
3: What's a part of the important work that needs to be done is just kind of normalizing and making people feel comfortable about having honest conversations about race and racism. Um, So oftentimes, we kind of see that certain pockets of faculty or staff at a school might be comfortable about talking about it. But when we talk about school culture, in general, of just like being accepting, being respectful, being uplifting, talking about other societal issues also can be embedded into school culture. And so Uh, I think there's a need for that to both come from the top down and then also kind of like a more grassroots idea as well of like teachers taking ownership of their classrooms and feeling empowered to have those conversations. And I think when that kind of becomes the norm across districts, across states, within school buildings, more teachers will feel more empowered, particularly teachers of color to enter and stay into the profession because they'll understand that their stories are valued and also that when we see something, whether positive or tragic, as we've seen recently happen, that they understand that people will have their back in those ways.
5: Another aspect across the board is um, robust and really solid mentorship programs. And I don't mean just for beginning teachers or student teachers, but all the way through. There are a lot of misconceptions and preconceived notions about what teaching is, because we've all had teachers. So we know what a teacher does. But when you're put into the position of a teacher where you are in charge and you're planning, it's a totally different world. Once they are mentored through high school and they get into the college level, having that pay for student teachers to help support their goals and that so that they don't have to worry so much about the student debt part of it. Like I tried to work at the same time as my student teaching, and it was Terrible. It was so difficult. But I had to do that to make sure that I could keep surviving, keep living. Generally, working together, being communicative, um, inviting others into the conversations with you, just overall support um, through mentorship for teachers of all levels is going to help people be more enticed by teaching, by education. And I think that that's kind of how you support a more diverse. Faculty as well is mentorship from the high school level on, like starting when they're young, when you see those attributes of people taking advantage, giving them opportunities and then helping them get to the next level.
0: I wonder if you have advice for district and state leaders on how they can help us recruit and retain a diverse wealth qualified, um, well-prepared uh, group of teachers.
4: In classrooms, we talk about differentiated instruction, but with teachers, it's like one size fits all. So I think it is important for us to be able to talk about like what each teacher needs. Um, and then a big thing that I'm excited about is hopefully this um, culture of observing, observing and collaboration. Um, because a big thing is we talk about in PDs, this is what we're doing in classrooms, but it's really different when you're seeing an exceptional teacher do it um either co-teaching with you or observing in their classroom or them come seeing you and doing real-time experience like seeing how it works because there's magic there when you're in the classroom with kids
0: well thank you all so much for sharing your thoughts on how we both recruit attract and retain excellent teachers like each of you so thank you so much for joining us today after the break this week's final word I've been in many social and work situations recently where people are talking about how complicated the world is or worse, what a mess it all is. People are discussing what our kids have to worry about compared to what it was like when we were growing up. I'm even hearing about how kids are so fascinated by the new Top Gun movie because they watch the original based in the eighties. They wanna know what it was like when we were growing up. My college age son even sincerely asked me if we had school shootings when I was a kid. As I've tried to process the last couple of years and even the last couple of weeks through my education lens, from Uvalde to the nickname Don't Say Gay Legislation or HB 755, to the term learning loss, to volatile school board meetings, to the exhaustion of teachers and the polarization of our government, I often come away with a sense of overwhelming complexity, noting layer after layer of all that needs to happen. But this weekend, after more discussions, many with students, I left with a very different thought. Yes, educating our wonderfully diverse students is very complicated, but in terms of what we as a state and a government need to do, it's actually very, very simple. Yes, simple. We must put our kids and their needs first. When we look at all that is happening, we rarely hear our kids centered as the primary focus of the discussions Our kids are the very people who will help shape our world, our economy, and our communities in the decades to come. However, they will also inherit what we create. They will live with the challenges, trauma, or opportunities we give them. The simple part is this. If we truly look at what research is telling us about what our kids need to succeed in college, career, and citizenship, and thus help our economy and communities thrive, we have a clear path forward. Interestingly, we are doing this in one area, the science of reading. We've looked at the research, we've seen examples of this in practice, and we're moving forward in an effort to equip our educators with the tools and resources they need to ensure that our students have access to high quality and effective reading instruction. The same leaders who are moving forward with the science of reading, leaders from both sides of the aisle, have an opportunity and a responsibility to follow the research on what else we need for kids. We must ensure that every child has access to a high quality, effective teacher, We must value the profession, the credentials required, and support our pre and in-service teachers. Working conditions and teacher pay are important components of this. Our legislature with $4.5 billion more than expected on top of a significant surplus in the biennium has the resources to do this right. Teachers do not need $13 or $100 more per paycheck. They need significant raises that help them afford to live in the communities they serve, that help them afford childcare so they can teach, and that honor the education credentials and skills they bring to our work every day. Our students feel physically safe. We must make sure this is true. Reacher shows us that our students must feel safe in order to learn. Right now, our students wonder if they are safe in their schools. They see the same news and posts that we do. We have an opportunity to follow what our constituents say they want to ensure that gun safety is a part of our effort as a state. Our students cannot learn if they do not feel safe. The safety of our students and educators must be prioritized over the disagreements among the adults who have the power to impact our schools. We must ensure that our students feel supported feeling safe and supported goes beyond the physical and includes mental and emotional safety. Students must be able to be themselves and to feel safe with the teachers and others in their schools. When we try to prohibit our students from having culturally responsive age appropriate curriculum, we are sending a strong message that their family makeup or how they might identify is not acceptable. We must honor the role that our public schools play in our community and the right to a sound basic education afforded by our North Carolina constitution. I was reminded nearly every day during the pandemic that our schools are the hubs of our community. They were the very glue that kept people connected, kept our students fed, and ensured that families knew that someone cared for them. Our schools are the center of our rural, suburban, and urban communities, and we must do what research shows us is needed. Our lawmakers are often quick to complain about our schools, but we have yet to come even close to providing the human and fiscal resources following the research or implementing the Leandro Comprehensive Remedial Plan to allow them to do what they are ready and able to do to provide high quality and equitable education for our students. The jobs of our educators and principals are in fact very complicated. Working with human beings, families and children places many demands and opportunities before us. But what our state leaders need to do is not complicated at all. We have a huge surplus. We have the research and we have the data showing us where we fall short. I'm going to stop saying it's so complicated because it's not. The answers are actually very easy and doable. The only thing stopping our legislators and decision makers is the will to follow their data, to follow the research, and to provide our schools with the very resources and research-based practices that any business would insist upon having. We can hide behind excuses of complexity, but this is simple, North Carolina. Thank you for taking the time to think and learn about education. That's all for this week, and we'll see you next week.